0: Well friends uh, today's scripture comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 29 in the ESV. We encourage you to find the scripture uh, if you brought a pew Bible or if you brought your own Bible or uh, if you have a Bible app, you can use one of the pew Bibles um, it will also be projected behind me and we will reference the scripture uh, throughout the message. again it's Mark chapter 6 14 through 29. And uh, I'll be reading it uh, aloud. Uh, We ask that you read silently along with us. Um, And may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why his miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, and yet he heard him gladly, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing in our sermon series um, the story of Jesus. And from the very beginning in September, we have been trying to answer this question that we asked in the very first uh, sermon in this series when we started Mark chapter 1. Who is Jesus? This is a very important question. And I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, maybe we've lost a little touch with who Jesus is. Just maybe through the years, the legend has grown, has kind of morphed into something else. And I think part of the reason why maybe we've lost touch with the biblical Jesus is because uh, for many times, we don't actually read the stories in context. Uh, Sometimes we don't always remember the stories of Jesus. And the ones that we do uh, kind of get cherry-picked from our memory, the stories that we want to remember. Right? And so I wanted us to go through uh, the Gospel of Mark. We picked the shortest one, and even that is going to take all year, right? Um, And to read it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and to read the story in context, in all the stories, in the greater context of who Jesus really is. And so we've been asking that question who is Jesus? This graphic I actually showed in the very first uh, message in the series. Um, And friends, You know, one of the answers that we've been coming up with is Jesus is king. Jesus is a king. And so, um, you know, what's interesting about this, you can actually put it on the graphic with the kings there. Um, What what is interesting about this is that we don't often, you know, uh, just go back for a second, James. Look at all the images of Jesus here. We don't very frequently see Jesus as a king. We see him as this, you know, very humble as he was. You know, this kind of shepherd, this nice guy, your friend, right? We don't always see him as, next graphic please, as a king, being regal and splendid and someone you have to obey and listen to, right? Um, And what's interesting about the passage that we're about to read is that um, they're going to ask this question again, who is Jesus, right? Because he's been going around healing people, you know, casting out demons, doing these miraculous things. And people are like, well, what is this? Right. How do we understand this? You know, Um, and uh, uh, what's interesting is that even though this question gets asked for most of the passage that we just read, we don't actually hear about Jesus. We're going to hear about someone else. Right. Even though the question gets asked, who is Jesus? And so why do we bring up this guy, King Herod? Right. It's interesting. Right. Because they ask the question, who is Jesus? And the answers that we're going to come up with, let's actually look here. It says, King Herod had heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. And one of the things that doesn't get said is maybe he is the Messiah. This is going to come later, right? When Jesus asked the disciples point blank, who do people say that I am? And so here you see people are dancing around the question that everyone is asking. Is Jesus the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? Uh, We actually studied this in youth group last night. Uh, The Messiah, uh, as prophesied in uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, it talks about a coming king, a king who will reign in the line of David, but this king will be God's own son, right? Sounds like someone, doesn't it? It's Jesus, right? But for the people of Israel, they were waiting for this king to come, and this king would reign forever. And so they're waiting for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And um, so that's the question that everyone is asking. It doesn't get asked here, but who we are now going to hear about is a king. So, friends, we are going to still we are still you know in the the ser- series the story of Jesus. We are going to find out in some ways who Jesus is by talking about who he is not, right? So here we get a king who is not Jesus, right? And the title of this uh, message is Unworthy Kings. Jesus is the worthy king. And here we're going to find out about an unworthy king. Um, I have to be honest, when I was reading uh, through uh, the Gospel of Mark over the summer as I was preparing for uh, this sermon series, every time I would get to the story, um, I, I would be very perplexed because it wasn't really directly about Jesus, right? And I was like, man, do we skip this story? You know, like, like I, I didn't really know what to make of it. Maybe it, it, you guys kind of felt that way. When we were reading it, you're like, oh my gosh, what, what are we going to be talking about here? It's about a king beheading someone, right? Like what kind of sermon is this going to be? And, and I have to be honest, I had to listen to it a few times, but In a strange way, it's become one of my, uh, I don't know if a story about beheading can be your favorite story. I mean, it's not one of my favorite stories, but it's very interesting. It's a very interesting story. When you read it in the context of trying to understand what kind of king Jesus is and what kind of king Herod was. And so let's talk about this guy, Herod. Um, So Herod was a king um, who in some ways was kind of a figurehead. You know how like there's countries like uh, England and some other countries in the world where you have a king um, and, and, and there's a you know kind of a hereditary line, right? So, you know, such and such king or queen had a kid and they had a kid and they had a kid and they had a kid. And you can trace hereditarily um, the line of these kings. But in the modern world, um, you know, a lot of these kings don't actually have much political power. They're figureheads. Right? They go and cut ribbons and they do ceremonial things, right? But the, the, the Queen of England doesn't make a lot of policy-type decisions, right? Um, and so that's actually kind of similar, not exactly the same thing, but kind of similar to what was going on here because you had the Roman emperor who had all the power, right? But they, Israel, interestingly enough, even though there was a Caesar, they were still allowed to have a king. A hereditary king, right? And to be honest, Herod didn't do that much, right? He sat around in his palace and he drank, and you know he he had parties and stuff like that. As far as we can tell, Um, it doesn't sound like he had a lot of political power, but he still had some power, right? He goes around beheading people in this story, so obviously he has some power, right? Um, But so we find out about um, you know people are asking about Jesus, and King Herod, he heard about it, right? Because Jesus' name and his fame was spreading. The stories of what Jesus was doing were, were spreading, and people were trying to understand. You know, some people said, oh, it's John the Baptist who has been raised, or you know, maybe he's Elijah, or maybe he's like one of these old-time prophets that we read about that could do crazy things, miraculous things. And Herod's answer is, no, he is John, John the Baptist, who I beheaded. John has been raised. So, friends, um, before we get too hard on Herod, because I think it's going to be very easy, someone who goes around beheading people, right, to be like, hey, this guy's not a worthy king, and he's not a good guy. But I just want to point out, one of the first things we learn about Herod is he believes in resurrection. He believes in resurrection. And to be honest, I mean, if you, if you are to believe some people, the way they talk about Christians nowadays, that's all you need. All you need to do is believe in resurrection, Right? Of course, resurrection of Jesus. But Herod is a man of faith. He believes in resurrection. He believes that John was resurrected. And just that belief is not enough, clearly, as we're going to find out very soon. right? So we find out Herod had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of, for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. So we're not really sure what happened, but somehow... Uh, Herod married uh, his brother's wife and John the Baptist had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herodias, uh, Herod's um, now wife, his former brother's wife, um, didn't like that Jesus, uh, sorry, that John was denouncing the fact that they got married. And so she had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. So, here are some of the contradictions in Herod. Herod, you see, seems to have great respect for John, right? Uh, he, he fears him because people respect John, see him as a holy man. And it looks like Herod also thinks that John is a man of God, and yet he arrests him, right? And so, he kind of does this thing where he's kind of like trying to juggle two things. He doesn't want to kill John the way that his wife wants him to, He's like, no, 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 I won't go that far, but I'll arrest him. Okay. So you you happy wife? All right. You happy? I'm going to arrest him, but I can't kill him. This is a compromise, right? The people don't want him dead, right? But I will put him in prison. Okay. And so that's what he does. And so, um, There's another interesting thing that we see here in verse 20. It says, when he heard him, so when Herod heard John, uh, John denouncing him and these kinds of things and the different things that John was preaching, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So friends, Herod is such a a weird character in many ways, right? Right? We, we hear that, that like John is preaching these things and, and, and it tells us in scripture, we have no reason not to believe scripture here, that Herod received that gladly. Let's just take it for, for, for what it's worth. So this is what we know about Herod's faith. Herod believes in resurrection, right? He honors God and he fears God in some ways because he doesn't wanna put John to, to death, right? He seems to be a believer in God and he actually receives the word. John's preaching, and he's there in the congregation in a way, right? And he's nodding his head, and he's saying amen. He's like, mm, I like it. It's good. Mm. And yet, he arrests John. And later, he's going to kill John. So, friends, we get this sense that just believing in something and even liking it, agreeing with it in your mind, is not enough, is it? You know, I think that it's very easy for us to just discount Herod. Oh, Herod's a bad man. Herod doesn't have faith. But I actually don't think that's the case. I think that Herod is trying. He's trying to do the right thing, but he's also trying to please people, right? And he has faith, but he's not really willing to follow through with them. Does that sound like people you know? I mean, friends, not that I want this to be us pointing fingers at people like, oh, look at Christians these days, right? It's so tempting to go there, isn't it? Like, oh man, there's a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus, who receive the word of God gladly. Maybe even in a sermon, they're, they're nodding their heads, amen, amen, amen. Yet they go out and don't live anything like a Christ follower." Friends, I have to be honest. There are times where I'm like that too. You know, I I honestly think Herod means well. I think he's trying, but he's not following through. That's very clear. It's not enough. It's not enough. There's something lacking. So he likes John, right? He likes the word of God. He believes in the resurrection, but something is missing in Herod's life. Okay, so let's try to find out what that might be. So we hear the story about how uh, an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So Herod, you know, on his birthday, he invites the most powerful people uh, in Galilee, in that area, to come and celebrate with him. That's important, friends. So there's military commanders. There's people who have power. There's people who have money influence and they're all there and we're told that Herodias's daughter, so this is uh, now Herod's daughter-in-law, right? Because he married Herodias. She came in and danced and she pleased Herod and his guests and the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you and he vowed to her. Friends, a vow is a powerful thing. It's a promise. I can almost imagine Herod in the middle of this banquet just standing up. I make a vow to you. I pledge to you. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Friends, this is really weird in some ways. Like, what is going on? He's willing to give up half of his kingdom? Right? You guys ever see like Shark Tank? Um, I, I, I know this is going to seem like a weird parallel, but I just want to demonstrate to you how foolish Herod it is in this case. You ever see like where, um, like, like, uh, so shark tank is a show where, uh, some entrepreneur has a business and they bring it before these sharks. They're these like really rich people who invest in businesses and they try to form a partnership. And a lot of times what happens is the shark is like, okay, I'm going to support you. Keep your company, right? You continue to run your company. I don't want to run your company, but, you know, give me a stake because of my name and my resources, right? You got to give some to me. So give me 10% of your company, 20% of your company. And there are some cases where the shark thinks they have so much power. They're like, you know what? I want 50% of your company, but it's never 50%, Never 50% because there's this principle. If everyone, if two people, two parties have 50% of the power, who's really in charge? Who's really in charge, right? So what you'll see is when they make these sort of 50-50 partnerships, what they'll do is they'll say, you know what, give me 49% of your company, (laughs) right? 49%, why? Why is that important? It seems kind of silly, right? What's one percentage point? It's their way of saying, you still get to have control of your company. When it comes down to it, when a decision needs to be made, You get the final say. You get the tie-breaking vote, right? And so this is where Herod is not very smart. He doesn't do that. He offers his daughter-in-law half, just straight up. I'll give you half. So half of what? Half of his kingdom, his kingdom, friends. So that's all his resources, his gold, his uh, uh, livestock, his army. His guards, the guards in that room, she gets half if she just says the word, right? So Herod is not thinking. At least he's not thinking with his head. He's thinking with something else, right? What's going on? So this girl, right, who, like, I mean, we don't really know, but she's this young girl, and she's dancing. And Herod is pleased. So... I I mean, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but friends, every time that I hear the story, I can't help but think, you know, what does it mean that he's pleased? You know, in what way is he pleased? He sees this and he's filled with desire. He looks at this dance and he's like, oh, I like it. I like it. Right. And so he gets up and, you know, maybe he's been drinking, right? It's his birthday party. He's not in his right mind. And yet he makes a binding vow that he follows through with, right? He says, I'll give you anything, girl. Girl, I'll give you the world. I'll give you the moon and the stars. Is Herod trying to be romantic? I'll give you half, which is kind of weird because in what cases does a a woman that a guy likes get half? In marriage. It's almost like a marriage proposal that he's making to his daughter-in-law. Kind of gross, right? But Herod is pleased. Please read into that what you will. He's like, girl, I like it. I like it a lot. And he's given away his authority and his power. Imagine if she did take half. Right? Imagine if Herodias was like, you know what? Girl, take half. This is what we're going to do. We're going to stage a coup. What can Herod do in this case? He gave away half his army. He gave away half his power, half his riches. There is nothing Herod could do. But, fortunately for Herod, she doesn't do that. Right? But what what she does is that she's like, okay, shoot, this, this, this is big time. She goes to her mother and says, hey, what should I ask for? So Herod's uh, wife, you know, you can just tell how much this is on her mind, how much it bothers her what John said against uh, them in their marriage, that she's like, without blinking an eye, she could ask for half the kingdom. and She's like, get me John the Baptist's head. I just want that separate dad so she goes to Herod, and that's what she asks. This story, in many ways, is a tragedy. You know, you can almost hear it in the passage. When the girl goes to Herod and says, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That is cold-blooded. Behead him and serve it on a dish. You all are eating the finest of fruits, but this is my fruit. This is my delicacy, a man's head on a platter. It's gross, right? It's profane. I mean, it, it's really like malicious. And yet, that's what they asked for. And the king is like, oh, snap. Now, what, what can the king do in this situation? She didn't ask for half the kingdom. You would think the king would have the power to override this, but he doesn't, right? We're told, verse 26, friends, I, I want us to read this. Uh, carefully because I think you see in this, you can almost hear Herod, Herod's sorrow. The king was exceedingly sorry. He wasn't just like, oh man, that's a bummer. He's exceedingly sorry. You can almost imagine, you know, Herodias' uh, she, Herodias's daughter says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter now. And you can almost see like, like you know, Herod's having a good time, like, hey girl, what, what's it going to be? And then she asked that, and you can almost see like his jaw drop, right? That he turns pale. And he's like, what? You want that? Really? That's, that's what you want? And He's sorry. He likes John. He's keeping the dude alive. He likes his sermon. He likes hearing him preach. And yet, because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It's also sad too because they didn't have John's head. All they had was his body, right? Because Herodias has his head. They are not even able to give John a proper burial. There's a lot of heartbreaking things in this passage. And you have to wonder, what is Herod's fatal flaw? What is the tragic flaw in this story for Herod? And friends, remember, we've been talking about kings. What are kings supposed to be? Kings are supposed to, in many ways, in human terms, supposed to be the ultimate authority. right? Herod asked for something. Hey, you know what? Get me that man's head on a platter. And the guards don't even flinch. They're like... No, sir, I won't do it. I refuse. The kings are like, okay, all right. Hey, who wants to do it? Hey, you got a a machete or something? And they do it. They just do it. Why? Because the king asked. The king has that authority. The king, in human terms, should be the ultimate authority. But Herod is not. Herod gives away his authority. So friends, you'll notice that the title of the sermon is not the unworthy king, as in Herod, but it's unworthy kings. Because I think that Herod's fatal flaw is that he is really not the ultimate king, not over his life. There is something that is ruling Herod. There is something that is driving him that has authority over Herod's own life that he has to obey above his own desires to protect John, to honor God. So what is it? Well, one is obvious, his desire, the lust of his flesh. He sees this girl dancing and he's like, oh, I like it. And then he is under her sway and control in some ways. He puts himself there, let's be clear. It's not like the girl was asking for that, but his own desire puts him there, right? And then this, the, the the other ways that you see, um, you know, the kings over Herod in, in in this story, is his own sense of honor and pride, right? His desire uh, to be well respected in people's eyes. So he goes out and he makes his big pledge. Remember, I told you this would come back. Who's at the party, friends? Who's at the party? Is it just his family and friends? Just like, you know, just people off the street his subjects. No, they're the most powerful and influential people in Galilee. They're the richest. They're the military commanders, right? And so in a lot of ways, Herod's like, man, I just made a vow in front of them. If I go back on this, they will lose respect for me. I can't do that, right? And so we're told in scripture, because of his oaths and his guests, he is considering who's there. He's like, man, I want General so-and-so to have a good opinion of me. I want him to respect my authority. I said something. I got to follow through. And because of that, because of his pride, because he wants to look well in the eyes of humans, Herod does this unspeakable thing, and he kills a man. He has him beheaded. He has him buried without a head. Right? Friends, again, I think it's so easy to pile on Herod and to say, man, this guy, what's wrong with him? Friends, I, I think, you know, one thing that you see from this passage is how human kings fail us, you know? And that's just any king. But uh, there, there's this, this phrase um, that I've heard, there's this saying, who watches the watchmen? Right? So there's people that were given authority to protect us, you know? And we're like, okay, we'll give you ultimate authority. But what if those people abuse their authority? This is why police brutality is such a big deal to us, right? Because we trust in the police. Who's gonna police the police? And then who's gonna police the police who police the police? Who's gonna police the police, right? Like it just gets silly, right? And this is part of the reason why it's so um, infuriating for people. And so um, it, it just really uh, is something that we can't get over when we see corrupt kings and leaders and rulers, corrupt presidents. We're like, okay, well, What if you have a leader that we've given all the authority to? I mean, they can literally can press a button in new countries and that person is corrupt. That person is ruled by something else, ruled by their greed, by their self-interest, by their desire. What if that person is trying to impress a girl and he does something awful, just like this passage? Who are we giving ultimate authority in our lives? And friends, a lot of times, you know, we think about our own lives, and we're like, "Yeah," but you know what? If I were king, if I were president, I'd be good. You ever think that? Like, man, if they would just elect me as president, I know it seems kind of silly. It's like, like you know, you have to have all, all this money and all this influence and whatever. You know, but do you ever think that, man, just appoint one of us to be president? You know, I clean this whole system up. I, I would just overnight, I would just fix everything, right? Now, we know, you know, not to get too political. This isn't meant to be a political message. But, I mean, it is interesting, right, that when people get to certain levels of influence, they are bound by other people. They are bound by other authorities, interests, special interests. And they hold sway over these people. And you'll see it by the way they vote. You'll see it's very interesting that the people make promises beforehand. But when they are in office, they completely change. Why? because they don't have the ultimate power. Now, just to make this personal, have there ever been times when you, in your mind, in your heart, you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. Maybe you've even made a pledge to God. You know, this is what I'm going to do in my life. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to go love people. I'm going to share the gospel, whatever it may be. Now, friends, I want to ask you honestly. You may think that. You receive that word gladly, just like Herod. You believe it. You're like, yeah, I believe in this. This is the right thing. I'm going to do it. And you don't do it. You don't do it. Friends, I'm talking about myself. Man, how many times have I made those pledges before God? God, I vow to you. I pledge. I will never do that sin again. Never Maybe I'm at a retreat, at a revival on Sunday. Praise band's up there. They're playing a song. It's beautiful. We're talking about Jesus reigning and being a king and I I make a vow before God. God, I vow before you. I promise I will never do it again. Later that week, (laughs) lo and behold, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. The next morning, I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? Friends, what's going on? Could it be not because we directly willed it, but somehow we gave away authority and power in our lives. There are kings that are reigning over us. And these kings, much like the kings in Herod's life, you know, political influence, his desire to look good, his reputation, his own fleshly desires, these are unworthy kings in Herod's life and they lead him astray. And it leads him to tragedy. What about for you, friends? I think a lot of us, we overrate our will. We think we are in control until it's too late. Maybe there's some of us that we've already learned this lesson. Like, Pastor Steve, man, you know, you're preaching to the choir here. When I was younger, I used to think I was in control. You know, you, you'll, you'll talk sometimes to addicts. And they'll talk like this. You ever hear of um, uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous? It started by a man who converted to Christianity. And he realized that alcohol had become um, this uncontrollable force in his life. He couldn't resist it. And one of the first steps of AA that you have to um, come to grips with is the fact that your life, that the, the, the addiction has become uncontrollable. You do not have control over it. It leads you in ways that you do not want to go. For for a lot of addicts, the way that they're able to continue in their addiction is this illusion, is this lie. You know what? I can quit whenever I want. I'm in control here. I'm in control. I'm the king of my life. I'm the God of my life. I can quit whenever I want to. And so the first step to healing is coming clean and admitting this thing has sway, influence. It rules my will and life in ways that I cannot control. Right? And friends, maybe there are some things in your life like that that have become uncontrollable gods. Now, I wonder for Herod how self-aware he was. I mean, he's going through this and he's like hearing the word of God gladly. I just imagine, friends, it's just my imagination, that Herod probably thinks of himself as a pretty good Jew. It's like, you know what? I'm a God-fearing man. He hears these messages and he's like, "Mm, amen. Hallelujah, brother, preach. Preach, John, preach. Week later, he's chopping off his head. (laughs) It's true, right? He believes and yet there is something controlling him and reigning in his life. Friends, how did they even get to this historically? What does Israel even have a God? I just want to go back to the very beginning. And, uh, oh, by the way, I have this, this picture here about rejection, uh, because we talked last week about rejection, but now we're going to see rejection in a different context. Last week, we were talking about the pain of rejection in our lives. Jesus faced that pain, we faced that pain, but Jesus' promise to us is, I will always be with you. It doesn't mean you're not going to face rejection in your life, but I will always be with you. And yet, we rejected God, and we're going to see that. Here, um, so this is um uh, this is from Samuel, actually. So uh it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So the people of Israel, they're like, you know what, we want to be like the other people. And to be fair, It's not like Samuel was doing a bang-up job. I mean, he was a man of God, but his sons were not following in his ways, right? And so they're like, okay, well, if we, you know, we don't want to get like a corrupt prophet, and they saw this as an opportunity to now get an earthly king. Because up until this point, Israel had no king. It's the refrain of judges. The judges in in Israel were these leaders. They were kind of like pseudo-spiritual and military and political leaders but in judges it keeps telling you this refrain again and again and again there was no king in Israel there was no king in Israel there was no king in Israel it's intentional and a turning point in Israel is right here in this story when the people demand and they say we want a king we want a king why do they want a king because other nations have kings Man, they look so cool. They got those robes, right? They got a crown. They look so regal with the beards, you know, and they can protect us. We want a physical presence. That's one of the things they say. We want a king to protect us, right? They want security. And so they want a strong leader. You know, Samuel, you're not cutting it. In a way, they're saying, God, you're not cutting it. That's exactly what God says. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So there was no human king in Israel. Who was supposed to be the king of Israel? Who was supposed to be their king? God. They have rejected me as king. And this is the beginning of the downfall of Israel. When they get a human king. And actually, uh, this, this isn't here, but if you go through the passage, um, God says, okay, give them what they want, but give them a warning. Tell them exactly how it's going to be. So in no uncertain terms, Samuel tells them, hey, I don't know if you know what you're asking for. God will give it to you if you want it, but think, do you really want it? A human king is going to be imperfect. They're going to collect taxes. They're going to take your children and send them to war, sometimes for stupid wars. and Your children are going to die in these wars. And, and they're going to have control over you. They're going to take things from you. Is this what you want? And the people, they make a vow. There it is again. They make a vow. They say, yes. Yes, we want it. We want it. So that's what they get. They get a human king. Down the line, you can trace the lineage. Down to Herod king who came from the rejection of Israel saying, we don't want a king. We may not think, friends, we do the same thing, but I think we do the same thing every day. Every day we do. it. Every day when we say, God, you know, I see what's in your word. I receive it gladly. I'm like, "Mm, amen, amen, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it you know what, God, you know, let's have 50-50, 50-50 control, but really it's 51-49. Okay, God, I'll give you a lot. I'll give you a lot. I'll give you my time. I'll even tithe. I'll give you some stuff. But at the end, I get the tie-breaking vote. Mm. You want me to go love that person? Mm. But see, that person is a jerk. (laughs) That person really hurt me. Mm. I'm not going to do that. Oh, you want me to to be uh, a You want me to share the gospel? Mm. See, those people, um, they have a lot of sway and influence. What are they going to think of me if I go and share the gospel? And in many ways, friends, we are not the kings over our own lives. So, friends, um, we've been talking a lot about what it means for Jesus to be king. And and I just want to end this message just by reflecting on that. So can we go to the next slide? Here you see um, a crown crown. Uh, a crown of thorns turning into a golden crown. Jesus, the king. Jesus was a king unlike Herod. Jesus was completely obedient to God, even to the point of death. Right? So it wasn't just about another man being killed. It was Jesus himself who had to die. I mean, do you see that? Herod you know, couldn't save a man's life. But Jesus, he himself accepts death, his own death. He goes to the cross and he goes through incredible pain and suffering in order to free us, in order to be our king, in order to reign in our lives in a way that was always meant to be. God wants to be in control of your life. He is a good king. He is a loving king. He is not a king who will be capricious and will be uh, uh, subject to the whims. of of his desires. We'll be subject to the whims of the desires of other people. He's not beholden to other authorities. His purposes are for the glory of God. They are for the best purposes for you and for the world. And God desires good things for you. And friends, it is not, this is something that I just want to acknowledge, you know, a guy like Herod and people like you and me. We may have the best intentions in the world, but this is going to be a process. You know, I don't want this takeaway for you to to beat yourself up every time you're not able to obey Christ. Every time when you fall short of obeying the kingship of Jesus that you're like, oh, I'm not a real Christian, and then you go away in shame. Because remember, friends, Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died to keep you there at that table. He died that you have a place with him even with your sin but he wants for you to learn more and more what it means for him to be king. And the ultimate act is that act of surrender in our will and then through our actions to say, Jesus, you are king. I give you everything. I hold nothing back. I hold nothing back. But one of the things Herod didn't do was he didn't follow through. It was always just up here. He didn't follow through with his actions. He didn't go against his culture. He didn't go against his family. He didn't go against his military rulers. He didn't go against even his own desires, right? And maybe with the grace that God is giving you, there is a step of faith that you can take to say, you know what? I'm going to take a step to say Jesus is my king. Maybe it's going to be a step against my pride. Accepting Jesus in my life seems like a silly thing. Raising my hand in a prayer, that that feels like, like a kiddie thing. I don't want to do that. There are people of influence in this room. There are people who think bad of me. What step will you take, friends, to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus?